0: Ever feel as though you are living in two different worlds? I felt that way this summer, and I don't mean on some exotic vacation, although vacation was nice, and I'm glad to be back, and I'm glad you are back, and I'm glad we're all here together today. But my experience of two different worlds came this summer at the American Ethical Union Assembly, and later, while sitting at home reading the comics. Now, obviously, those two could be considered relatively different experiences in and of themselves. But it was what I learned about the American religious landscape from those two experiences that really got me thinking. So here's the first experience. There I was in a hotel conference room, surrounded by members of other ethical societies and quite a few folks from West as well, engaging in one of the workshops at the assembly. The workshop leader, who was new to ethical culture, was asking us to paint a picture of how ethical culturists perceived ourselves. She asked us if we, or perhaps humanists in general, saw ourselves as a minority in some parts of the country. A clamor rose up in the room, people affirming her guess. Oh yes, said someone, humanists are on the fringe everywhere in America. Flash forward to my dining room one morning in July as I read the comics in the Washington Post. My favorites are Frazz and Baby Bump, but I'm an equal opportunity comics reader, and I work my way through every single one. There's a conservative comic, Prickly City, that I find sometimes amusing and sometimes infuriating, but that is unusual in its commentary on current political situations. It's almost an op-ed piece in comic form. So this one morning in July, the comic was beginning what would be a week-long series about the state of faith in America. One of the characters was wearing a tall dunce hat and being ridiculed by the other character as one of those lunatics otherwise known as people of faith. The strip series began with the question, Can a devout secularist go more than ten seconds without insulting people of faith? went on to charge that people of faith were discriminated against in our increasingly secular society, and ended with a shouting match between the two characters, arguing between faith and reason, heaven and earth, and ultimately resolving their differences with a shared sandwich. I was glad for the rapprochement at the end of the series, but I was disturbed by the overall idea. The message, as it emerged over the week, was that Americans of faith, Americans who considered themselves religious, were a dying breed, a definite minority, and a ridiculed one at that. Well, wait a second. An America where humanists are a fringe group and the Christian majority rules the roost, and an America where secularists have taken over and the few remaining people of faith are made to wear metaphorical dunce hats because of their outlandish beliefs. How many Americas are we talking about here? How many Americas are we living in? The truth is, of course, that there are far more than two Americas, that indeed America shifts based on our geographic location our age, our perceptions, our understanding of ourselves. But there are also some concrete indicators we can look at to see what the landscape of America looks like from a religious perspective, to see whether the comic strip is right or the ethical culturists that day were right, to see who, after all, is the outcast. One of those indicators is the Pew Forum, that venerable institution that gives us so much informative data on religion in America. They published their huge U.S. Religious Landscapes Survey in 2008, and it does help to answer the questions of who we are religiously in America. One of the big changes in the American religious landscape, as Pew calls it, is that we will soon be a minority Protestant country. Christianity as a whole still accounts for more than 75% of the population. But that includes Catholics, Mormons, multiple Orthodox churches, any branch of Christianity. Protestantism, which includes evangelical churches, mainline churches, so that's like Methodists, Episcopal, Episcopalians, Lutherans, and historically black churches like AME, AME Zion, they all add up to just over 50% of the American population, with Catholics at almost 25% and the Mormons, Orthodox Christians, and others adding up to not quite 3%. A 50% Protestant population is a far cry from the America of even 50 years ago and very different, indeed, from the America, or at least the non-native America, that our founding fathers and mothers might have imagined. So perhaps the cartoonist had something there. Is America really becoming a more secular country. Well, moving away from being an entirely Christian country, of course, doesn't mean that we're necessarily moving toward being more secular. Part of the changing landscape is simply increased diversity in the many religions that make up America. And the Pew Forum study showed the clear presence of Buddhism, Islam, and Hinduism, not to mention Judaism and other faiths, including Unitarian Universalism and ethical culture. But it's also true that the unaffiliated category is growing, with more than 15% of Americans now considering themselves unconnected to any religion at all. Of those, a small number assert that they're atheist or agnostic, but most choose the category, nothing in particular. 15% is not insignificant. And I can see why, if your image of America is of a country united under one Christian Protestant God, you might be feeling a little lost. But the truth is, of course, that America hasn't ever really been that country, not even when those founding fathers were around. The founding fathers themselves were a mix of deists, Unitarians, and other heretics. And our neighboring state of Maryland was originally created as a haven for Catholics, Religious freedom has been so important in America, partly because it has always been a place for religious diversity. It's just that the breadth of that diversity is growing ever wider. It's also getting easier to see. Whether it's generational differences or a broader change in America's understanding of itself, people seem more likely to feel comfortable saying they aren't Christian or they aren't Protestant or they aren't churchgoers. I can't keep track now of all of the articles I read about new humanist groups, humanist chaplains, not to mention the spiritual but not religious craze that's been sweeping the nation for at least 20 years. Blame it on the baby boomers or Generation X, but we seem to feel much freer to claim a religious identity outside the mainstream. And nowhere is this more clear than on the ultimate place to claim whatever identity you choose. Facebook, of course. There was a great article in the Washington Post recently about Facebook's version of the religious declaration, that little fill-in-the-blank box asking for your religious views. I actually love that Facebook doesn't have a drop-down menu for this, but instead allows each person to write whatever they feel most deeply. This article highlighted the most creative responses from area Facebook users, from The Washington Redskins slash (laughs) Confucianism to strong believer in asking questions. But it also listed the top 10 religious views nationally and in the DC area, and that was certainly interesting. Christian, as one might expect, came out on top in both, but here in the Washington area, Agnostic was second, Atheist third, with Spiritual and Unitarian Universalist also making it into the top ten. It spoke, I think, to the diversity that we're privileged to have here, and it made me wonder if we shouldn't be increasing our Facebook outreach here at West. <laughs> so what do we do with all this data from the venerable Pew Forum and from the slightly less academic but always interesting Facebook poll What does it tell us about America? Ultimately, I can't help but disagree with the comic strip author who felt that people of faith were so demonized in America. We're still a country with a strong Christian majority, and of those who aren't Christian, many are very much people of faith. But I also find that I disagree with the ethical culturists who thought that they were the marginalized ones that day. Americans seem to be getting more and more comfortable declaring themselves different. And if you add up the agnostics, the atheists, the humanists, and the liberal religionists, well, fringe isn't the word that comes to mind. Perhaps part of the confusion, part of that feeling of being somehow on the margins, is that we ethical culturists, we liberal religious people, are not always quite sure what we are, after all. As many of you know, I frequently refer to my own faith in people, and the power of humanity, and the call of the good. And I'm perfectly comfortable being called a person of faith. But I'm not quite sure that I'm the kind of person of faith that the cartoonist had in mind when he set up that secularist person of faith dichotomy. And indeed, I know that some of you might refer to yourself as secularists or at least supporting a secular society. Some might call yourselves religious humanists. Some of you find that the religious word makes you feel a little itchy, and so you just say plain old humanists. There are some say-it-loud and say-it-proud atheists in the room, and others for whom that title doesn't feel right at all. And some of you who proudly wear the ethical culture badge, but hope it can share space with the badge you still carry and love from other religious influences be they Buddhist or Christian or Jewish. So what are we, after all? Neither fish nor fowl? A little of everything? Totally confused? It will not, perhaps, surprise you to hear that the point of my opening Sunday platform this year is unlikely to be that ethical culture is totally confused. Indeed, I think quite the opposite. And what I hope to do this morning is to invite you to imagine with me who we are, and even more who we could be if we took seriously our founder's absolute certainty in our own identity. Some of you who have either been reading Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture, or who have been listening particularly well over the last year, will know that Adler equivocated a bit about ethical culture's position as a religion or a philosophy. He said it was a religion for those who wanted a religion and a philosophy for those who wanted a philosophy, and then he probably ran back into his office, which is what many clergy are tempted to do when we get hard questions. (laughs) Or at least that's what I used to imagine. Now I am wondering if his answer might not have been a brilliant one, especially as I think about the other ways that Adler framed our movement. Some of you know how much I love Adler's founding address. I know it's a favorite of Mary's as well, and perhaps some of you. There this man stood, creating a new religion at the age of 24, and his imagination expanded as broadly as it could possibly go. He didn't create ethical culture as a haven for the few, or a movement for just some of us, He hoped to create, he believed he was creating a religious and educational movement that spoke to every person, whatever their creed, whatever their belief, whatever their background. Believe or disbelieve as ye list, he said, we shall at all times respect every honest conviction, but be one with us where there is nothing to divide in action. Diversity in the creed, unanimity in the deed. This is that practical religion from which none dissents. This is that platform broad enough and solid enough to receive the worshiper and the infidel. This is that common ground where we may all grasp hands as brothers, united in mankind's common cause. Adler wanted to build a religious movement that brought together the believer and the disbeliever, the person of faith and the secularist. He believed that ethics was at the heart of all the great religions, that right action and work for justice could bring men and women together no matter what their creeds. His was a universalism in the broadest sense of that word, and indeed Adler worked through the Free Religious Association with Unitarians and Universalists who shared his vision, who believed that America needed a religion that was big enough for the diversity that this country held, that it holds still. Now what, I wonder, would it mean for us today, for us here in this congregation, if we took Adler seriously, if we took him at his word? We are not, nor will we ever be, the right place for everyone. No individual congregation could be, and no single religious movement is likely to be either. People have preferences for how they spend their Sunday mornings or their Saturday mornings. There's a newness and openness to our time together that might not work for someone who wanted to stay firmly rooted in an older religious tradition. We might be too informal for some people, too formal for others. We do, of course, occupy a particular place in the religious world of Washington, D.C. And I wouldn't want us to become other than who we are. But I wonder sometimes if we are more than we realize. I believe, in fact, that we are already a place for people with a broad spectrum of beliefs with different feelings about language and tradition and music, who might fill out that blank religious views section on their Facebook pages in wild and wonderful ways. And even more importantly, I think, we also have in common our choice to walk together, to learn how to be together. Adler called ethical culture that practical religion from which none descends. He was talking about the impulse toward action, the impulse toward the good, the right, the just. We can be, and indeed I think we are, a congregation and a movement that draws people together from all kinds of different places, that stays open to new thoughts and new ideas, new forms and new people, because we know that we are pulled together by something that runs deeper than all of this. We stand on solid ground about what we value, what draws us together. And that, I think, is the gift our movement gives us. A big, broad tent, yes, but also a clear sense of why we're under that tent, why we have made this place our home. There's one more study that I want to highlight today, one that speaks not just to what religious categories people choose, but how they got there. It's another piece from the Pew Forum, this one called Faith in Flux, and it came out just a few months ago. This new report focused on the changes that people make in their religious affiliation over their lifetimes and reinforced what many of us can imagine as we look around at our own family and friends, perhaps our lives, too, that Americans take their freedom of religion and freedom of choice in religion to heart. The Pew Forum reports that about half of American adults have changed religious affiliation at least once in their lives. Most people, they write, who change their religion leave their childhood faith before age 24, and many of those who change religion do so more than once. This study could, I think, be a little disheartening to a clergy person. Certainly, there are people, plenty, who have grown up in ethical culture and chosen other paths. But instead, I take away a kind of hope from this study, a hope that that need not be. Because we have this big, broad tent, because we are drawn together by the values we share and the justice we seek, instead of by the beliefs that we demand, we liberal religionists actually have the opportunity to take a journey and stay at home at the same time too. All of us change our minds throughout our lives. We explore different sides of ourselves, connect with part of our past that feels suddenly true, then try out a new path that has opened up before us. What I want to say to you today is that wherever you are on your journey, Wes can be your grounding as you travel. Indeed, I hope we all take journeys this year, spiritual journeys, ethical journeys, intellectual journeys. I want us to be the kind of place where people are welcome no matter where they are, where you can find a dozen different ways for your heart and soul and mind to be fed. Now, being that kind of place does ask for an openness. It asks for us to continue to do well with change, and especially to remember those words of Adler. This is that platform broad enough and solid enough to receive the worshiper and the infidel. This is that common ground where we may all grasp hands as brothers united in mankind's common cause. Are we ready to be that platform? Can we open our arms to the stranger, to our neighbor, to each other? I invite you this year to think about what that broad, strong platform could mean for this society, for this congregation, and for our movement as a whole. And I invite you to think too about what it means for our larger world, for our country. That comic strip that I saw in July disturbed me not just because I think it's based on some incorrect assumptions but because it seemed to take for granted the idea that America is and must be deeply divided, that the secularists and the people of faith just can't get along. It was based on a kind of fear of the other, a fear of difference, the same fear, I think, that has fueled some of the uncivil dialogue that we've seen around the healthcare debate, around work on immigration reform. People look out at what seems like a changing country. What is a changing country? And they worry that the change will be too much for them. They worry about their place in this new world, about how the country can hold all these different kinds of people. And so I would suggest to you, frankly, I would charge to you, that we have a responsibility to be part of those conversations. As a movement created specifically to draw together people with different beliefs, a movement that asks us to honor diversity while seeking unity, a movement that was imagined as the practical religion from which none descends. For all those reasons, we must stand up and make our voice heard. We cannot afford to be a quiet gathering place for a few like-minded people. The world needs our message, needs us to be an example of a people drawn together by what we love, by what we hope for, and not only by what we believe. A people who can tolerate disagreement, can welcome new ideas, can model what it means to care for each other and work together, even while we think differently. America's religious landscape is indeed changing. In the next 50 years, I expect that it will change in ways we cannot yet imagine. People will fill in those Facebook blanks with all manner of their own categories with every personal response you can imagine. I want us to be a place where the categories lose their importance, where people come together because they believe in each other, because they believe in the power of the human spirit, believe in the possibility that our work together can truly change the world, even more that it can change them. Every year, every day holds that possibility. If only we have the faith to try. In this secular age, in this religious country, let's be the place where the worlds meet.